before our salvation, we were sinners, maybe not the same sins, uh, but we were all sinners just like Paul. Uh, and, and I was, I, I was, and you were, uh, and we all had that sin in our lives. God's love was and is stronger than that sin. And love intervened in Paul's life. God intervened uh, in Saul's life, and, and his name became Paul then on that road, uh, the, the later after that, after the road to, to uh, Damascus there. Um, and if you're saved in here this morning, God brought you from being a filthy sinner on your way to hell to being a filthy sinner on your way to heaven, right? Um, and because of that, res- of that relationship that, that you have with God the Father because of the ultimate suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, and the difference, the difference is not us. The difference is not, hey, I, I, I you know, did this in my life to uh, fix my relationship with Jesus. It's not that. It's, it's purely Jesus' love. It's all his sacrifice on the cross that made it possible for us to have that relationship and for, it to be, uh, for us to have a restored relationship with him. Um, today we're going to look at Paul's testimony to, to Timothy in First uh, ter- Timothy chapter one. We're going to see uh, what Paul says of himself and, uh, and of his God, and, and the filter this morning of God's love being the reason for giving. Okay, through this passage, we're going to see some of these thoughts as well as uh, get direct direct application within the passage. Okay, so literally our points this morning are going to be the verses as we walk through. Okay, um, let's jump in. First two verses say this in First Timothy chapter one. And verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, our father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul really didn't think much about himself. He knew that he was nothing on his own on his own. Uh, God is mentioned five times in the first two verses. We just read those first two verses. God is mentioned five times in those first two verses. But really, this is standard procedure for Paul. Paul had 13, uh, you know, the Pauline epistles. And each time Paul starts out one of these epistles, he introduces uh, himself in a similar way. Uh, Jesus Christ and, and God, they are magnified, and he is not made much of anything. Uh, and you can go through and, and look. Uh, but again, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he, he uh, immediately redirects to Jesus when he introduces himself. And you can see that in the other Pauline epistles as well. But you see also the enduring term that he gives toward, toward Timothy when Paul calls him his own son in the faith. Okay? So we see these two, two verses. Moving on, verse 3, it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Paul gives encouragement to Timothy to edify the people at Ephesus. There were several false teachings uh, happening. Uh, There were temples to several false Greek mythological gods, Hadrian and Trajan and and Diana. Uh, There there was a wrong philosophy by a man named uh, Philo or Philo. Uh, There was wrong teaching at the at the church that did not exist. Wrong teaching that the church did not exist, and that there was just a continuation of theology before Christ. Uh, these people thought that they were improving upon what Christ had already done. They thought maybe they had built the better mousetrap. So we see Paul's encouragement to Timothy here. Uh, we see uh, where uh, he, he's telling him to let no wrong teachings or doctrines influence the church. 
This morning, as we continue to think about our own contribution to his continuous work, uh, I don't believe anybody here is trying to change, you know, foundational doctrines that Community Baptist stands upon. Uh, But what we can ask ourselves is what influence do we individually have at Community Baptist? There was a lot of bad influences back in the first century there. And again, I'm I'm not saying that anybody here is trying to insert wrong doctrine, but what kind of influence and, and how are we conducting ourselves? Uh, is this a place for you to worship God? Sometimes, and, I, and I'm so new, I can say this and, and nobody can think anything of it because I don't know. <laughs> uh, sometimes church becomes a place of, hey, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about what, what programs I'm in outside of, outside of church. Let's talk about um, you know, school, let's talk about anything else besides God and Jesus Christ and, and what he is doing in our lives. And those things are not necessarily bad. But do we ever talk about Jesus and do we ever talk about what he is doing in our lives? What kind of doctrine or teaching are you promoting here at Community Baptist Church? Uh, we're in the middle of a crazy year. OK, the 2020 memes are abundant Y'all know what I'm talking about? The 2020 memes? Some of you? All right. Um, The devil is working. He wants you, he wants me to talk about anything other than God. He wants us to talk about anything other than the continuing work of Jesus Christ in our own lives, uh, of of the outreach that we have here in South Riding and and abroad. Uh, The end of it is, is what? The Bible says, all you're doing is ministering questions. You're getting away from the main thing. God the edifying, which is in faith, so do. I love that phrase. It says, so do. I wonder if he was thinking back to when he, he wrote Philippians in chapter 4, when, when he, he talks about, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Paul was a man of action, and, and he wanted uh, the people that he was ministering unto to live for God, and, and he uses that word do, and, and we need to not just think about things of God, we need to not just uh, 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 study, and, and, and those are good things to do, and think on those things, but he says to do them, uh, and the God of peace shall be with you. And that's a wonderful thing. So we see that the doctrine uh, there in, the, in that first century that, that Paul was he, uh, trying to give uh, encouragement to Timothy to, to uh, help those people to not fall into those traps. Uh, verse 5 says this. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. And Paul, so he explains this connection between love and giving. Charity out of a pure heart... Uh, Love and giving, not out of, not for personal gain or any other reason, but of a pure heart, he says. And then he says, good conscience. That's that inner voice. That's the Holy Spirit's working in you. And then he says, faith unfeigned. Faith that is true, genuine, real. And so he uses those terms. Question for you. Have you ever given because your heart said it was the right thing to do? Have you ever given because your heart said it was the right thing to do? Sometimes that that happens and and the fuzzy, warm feelings don't come until afterward, right? Um, And, you know, it happens maybe in your kids' lives. I've experienced this where, you know, 
we, we, we coach and we help Leah and help her to understand, hey, giving is a good thing. And uh, maybe she's got a toy that, that she's had at home. And, and I remember this happened not too long ago uh, where we had somebody over and, and the little, little, little guy was playing uh, with one of her toys and she gave it to him. And maybe it wasn't the easiest thing right at that time. But afterward, you know, they left and, and Leah's like, yeah. That, that felt good to do that. Yeah, it does. It does feel good to, 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 to do good things and to give and to give out of love, out of a pure heart, as the Bible says. So we see that number, uh, chapter five, or, uh, verse five, verse six, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling. We're going to talk about that. It's not a fun thing to say vain jangling. It's not a good thing, but it's just some funny words desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Let's talk about that vain jangling. You have your keys you and just shake your keys all over the place and it's annoying and, and people don't want you to do that because that's just vain jangling or, or vain jangling. You, you hear of, uh, uh, very astute people kind of going at each other uh, and, and using words and, and trying to uh, be smarter than that other person uh, and, and just vain jangling, vain jangling. Uh, there is so much confusion between people uh, because people are taking the word of God uh, and, and trying to impart it to others when they don't know what they're talking about in the first place. Okay? Vain jangling. Um, there is a... Uh, I have the name written down, but I'm not going to use names. Okay. There was a pop artist uh, just a little while back who uh, made a judgment on a, uh, on a person in, in politics. Uh, this person's a Christian. And the statement was, you were the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. But when you look at the person, it's kind of the beam and the moat idea, right? The, the person uh, who made the statement... That person has, and I just looked up one of the songs on, on songlyrics.com because I don't want to, uh, you know, research a whole lot of this kind of a thing. But the song is full of drug use, immoral relationships and vanity. And we could go on and on about that, that kind of a thing. But um, vain jangling, talking about something that you feel like you, you want to, you think you know about, but you don't. Okay. Uh, verse eight, it says this, but, but we know that the law is good if man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but, that the, uh, but for that lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers and fathers of murderers, of mothers for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing uh, that is contrary to sound doctrine, uh, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust." You know the, the ultimate commandment, right? That's master, which is the great commandment, as asked in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The, the law is written to those that are unlawful. You, you think about that concept and you think about even the Ten Commandments and you think about other laws in the Word of God. There is no way you even you just think about the great commandment, love God with all thy soul, heart and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. None of us, none of us in here has fulfilled that completely. It says the law is written to, to sinners. That's us. And what is the law? The law is a mirror that shows us 
hey, you're not good enough. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why the law is written. Is the, do, should we try and fulfill the? Should we try and do the things that are written in the law? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we want to live for God. We want to live righteously, but we're not going to be able to. Not to a T. Not not completely. Not wholly. We are sinners. We are sinners. The law is a mirror to show us our own sinful selves, and, and for the realization then to understand that we need God. We need Jesus Christ. Um. Verse 12 says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Give out of a thankful heart. It's a blessing that that God has counted us worthy to be part of his program. That's what Paul was saying. He said, for uh, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And Paul then, you know, he knows that he is loved. And we see that in the next verse as well. Verse 13, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, it says he obtained mercy, which is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. He obtained mercy. Uh, it says ignorance and unbelief. Ignorance and unbelief never excuse our sin, but they do invite God's mercy because sin and ignorance and belief makes one less guilty than the believer who sins knowingly. Uh, We do understand, though, that it was not Paul's ignorance that saved him. It was the exceeding abundant grace of God. Okay, and then we see verse 14. We've got a couple more verses to go. Verse 14, it says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul was so indebted to Jesus, not because of his sin, but because of Christ's love. You know what the world's definition of love is? One definition that I think that they would attribute to the word love is feelings, feelings, feelings. Right? No wonder marriages are crashing at an astronomical rate. They're, they're a thing of the past, it seems like, almost. Um, if we had to base our morality uh, on our feelings alone, we would all be in a world of hurt. We would all be in big trouble. There's a song written a long time ago, 1984, uh, by, uh, let's see, it was written by Terry Britton and Graham Lyle. It was not sung famously by them, though. It was sung by a woman named Tina Turner. The song is called, What's Love Got to Do With It? We're talking about love this morning. We're talking about, right now, what is the definition maybe of the world and what what the world would say love is. Let me give you just a few of the lyrics here. It says this, What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? You know what I learned from that? If I'm going to be a student of, of the world and, and try and learn of what love means, I learned that love is cheap, it's temporary, and it doesn't last. God's love is deep. It's self-sacrificing. Sa- sacrificing. It's a love that is perfect. For God, love is not a second-hand emotion, but the very thing that defines uh, God's relationship with us. Paul continues to illustrate. In verse 15, it says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He says, I am chief. 
That's the leader. That's the worst. Um, what's worse than being the one in charge of killing God's children? Humanly speaking, it would have been pretty difficult to have had lovey-dovey feelings for, for Paul or for Saul, as it, as it may be. Thinking back, you think of you know, Paul's, uh, Saul's conversion to Paul, and, and then you, know, you experience uh, the before and the after. And, and the after was amazing. And, and that's why Paul was able to have the ministry that he had and, and what God did in him. But can you imagine just trying to trust Paul? It would be difficult, wouldn't it? But it's not a human, human thing that took place. Uh, God was that source of love in Paul's life. Uh, Malachi 3.6 says, for, for I am the Lord, I change not. God's love is, is permanent, it's secure, and uh, it's there and it's available to us. We see the result of Paul's sin in verse 16. How be it, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul knew God's love. There was no other possible answer for God's grace and mercy in his life. It says that, that, uh, it says that it was for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. This is the statement in here where we talk about what God's program is and, and what our giving should be because of God's love in our lives. God's love toward us is, is, is secure, it's permanent. And then in turn, our love toward others should be that word long-suffering, enduring. And, and sometimes you think of, of people in your lives that are, that are maybe not saved that you prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And, and you know what? Yeah, be long-suffering in those prayers. And keep praying for those people. And keep uh, edifying and keep giving of yourself. Paul says, uses the word long-suffering. And then in verse 17, it says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. His ultimate praise, his ultimate response is praise back to God. We see it from the example of, of Paul's missionary journeys, his life and his sufferings, uh, that this ultimate goal was to give himself freely and wholly back to God. Uh, we see this. We see that Paul's uh, life... His whole, his whole life was, was focused on giving back uh, because of God's love in his life. Uh, God loved Paul in spite of his sin, and he loves you and I this morning in spite of our sin. So what is our response? What is our response this morning? The response is to give. And the question is to give what and to give how. All right, ready? And we're going to... Get some trumpets out, and I'm going to give you an illustration. I hope that you understand through, the, through this illustration what we're trying to get at here. Okay? Uh, what, is, what is our response? Our response is to give, but to give what and to give how. Okay? These have been my friends for, for a number of years now. I got this one back in 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, this is a box Stradivarius. It's a B-flat trumpet, standard B-flat trumpet. If somebody's going to play the trumpet as a kid, this is what they're going to. Well, this is the kind of trumpet they're going to start on. Um, sounds like this.
So it's a B-flat trumpet. It's a, it's a, a trumpet that was probably made, uh, you know, you can look up the serial number. It was probably made around 2000, 2001. This trumpet was made for a reason. It's a good horn. It's silver. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, the gold finger buttons and little blue things at the top. They're awesome. My wife bought me the little blue things years and years and years ago. Uh, the whole little gold pieces here and there. Um, but uh, let's see. It's silver. It's a Model 72. You wanted to know that. It's a Model 72, which means that there is a different kind of taper in the bell, as, a, uh, as, as well as having a warmer, darker sound than the Model 37, which is the standard version of the Bach Stradivarius. Okay? It's got a reverse lead pipe. This is one of my favorite features, because there's not many Bach Stradivariuses that come with a reverse lead pipe, uh, which means that it's a smaller tube going into a bigger tube, and a smaller tube going into a bigger tube. So there's not the resistance from a smaller tube that the air would be hitting. Okay, that's one of my favorite features is that it's got the reverse lead pipe. Uh, Bach Stradivariuses are the number one selling uh, professional trumpet in the world. It has flaws. You see flaws. You probably can see them from there. Uh, one of the major flaws on this instrument is that when I bought it, it had a manufacturer's uh, flaw. Uh, by the way, this, this instrument retails for about $3,000. I think I bought it back in 2001 or 2002 for about $1,200. I bought it new, but it had a flaw in it. And you can see this large uh, defect. Okay? This was, when I bought it, a thin line. Okay? And it's just grown, and there's nothing that I could do about it. Um, I don't think. <laughs> um, but it's got flaws. Okay, uh, the valves stick sometimes. Uh, I've got other tarnishing and things like that going on. It's probably not the cleanest inside right now. Uh, so we see that this instrument has flaws. Uh, it's made for a pur pur purpose. Uh, a lot of times these instruments are used as like a marchy, you know, kind of a loud sound. Um, it would, um, if it would have never been played on though, it would be worthless, right? You ever been to like a TGI or something like that? TGI Fridays. You see those instruments like on the wall, okay? If it would never, if this instrument were to never be played on, it'd be worthless, just like those instruments on the wall at TGI Fridays, okay? All right, let's move on. Mm, let's do this one next. This is my my flugelhorn. It's uh, it's kind of like a trumpet, but it looks different. It's got bigger tubing, bigger bell. Um. It's a Yamaha. It's a good instrument. It's preferred over other brands a lot of times. It's got a rose brass bell, which I, I like about it. I think it's a cool color on the bell. It's got flaws, though. Okay? The valves on this guy are not always smooth. It's hard to keep these valves moving uh, cleanly and moving smoothly, and I've had it into the shop a couple times just to get the valves moving. Okay? Um, they're, they're sometimes hard to play. Uh, this instrument's also sometimes harder to play in the, in the, in the higher range. I don't know. I, I guess it's the, the wider tubing. It's just harder to play as a trumpet player in the higher range on this instrument. This instrument retails for about $2,000, and I was telling somebody before the service that I... That I I think Jonathan Simpson, that I traded this in, or I traded this with somebody, and so I got this for the cost of an instrument that I didn't really want in the first place, which is wonderful. Um, but this instrument's made for a purpose. There's a broader, more beautiful, maybe relaxed sound. Let me play it for you. Uh -huh. 
So you see that the sound of this instrument, this instrument has a purpose, okay? Um, if it would never have been used, though, it would be worthless, just like the instruments on, TG, on the walls at TGI Fridays, okay? One more. This is my little friend right here. This is a piccolo trumpet. It's an A piccolo trumpet. The, the, these are both B-flat instruments. This is an A instrument. Uh, it's a Getzen Eterna model. Okay? It's got a 420-inch bore uh, for a more open feel. Uh, there's less resistance and projection. The 940 series also features Blackburn Louisville lead pipes, which is cool. We could talk about that uh, afterward. <laughs> it has flaws, though, too. It has flaws. Uh, the fourth valve does not move right now. Okay, I haven't played this one in a little while. Uh, right here, I, I wrote this uh, before I tested it out, and uh, and I knew already that the fourth. I wrote down the fourth valve is sticky, but it's not moving at all right now. Okay, um, it doesn't look like much, but this instrument would retail for close to three thousand dollars. I bought it for seven hundred bucks from my brother a number of years ago. Uh, it's made for a purpose. A lot of times you would hear this instrument played in Baroque music, okay? Uh, it sounds a little different. Or I could play the song I've been playing. This one's harder. <laughs> All right. Um, but it's made for a purpose. A lot, of, a lot of times you hear this in Baroque music. You hear songs like Trumpet Voluntary uh, by Jeremiah Clark and, and other things like that. Um, but again, if this instrument would never have been played on, it would have been worthless. Just like the instruments on the walls at TGI Fridays or whatever instrument or whatever restaurant that is. And then there's you and me. We could describe our physical uh, characteristics, our physical attributes, our, our things that, are, that we do well in our lives and the things that we maybe not do well. We could spell out our skills, our accomplishments, our education. Uh, we could go through the flaws. We could talk about things like that. I've, I've got a knee that's not the greatest. Uh, I've got the slightest little hearing loss in my right ear. Um, I've got maybe a few too many pounds Right? Silence. Thank you. That's beautiful. All right. <laughs> um, but listen, we were all of us in here made with a purpose to glorify God, to love, to give. If we never do anything for God, we might as well end up on the wall at TGI Fridays. Just like the instruments, we all have a purpose for him. We all have the ability to communicate Christ in some way, fashion, or form. So we've learned some things this morning. Music is cool because it aids us in comfort and conviction and edification and application. We heard uh, the song at the beginning 
And, and it, gives, it gives us uh, maybe conviction in our lives, edifica- uh, edification, and we learn from it. Okay? We, we hear of the, the trumpets. We heard the music on Friday night, which was amazing. Uh, which, you know, edification in, in our lives and comfort. Music is wonderful. And, and I think that that was a tool this morning to be able to give us some of those things today. We've also learned today that God loves us. Maybe you knew that already, but I hope that I gave you a little bit of perspective of the magnitude of his love. It's always overwhelming to me when I really just sit down and think about how much he really does love us. You think about those planets. You think about those stars, Canis Majoris, and the size of Earth, and then the size of you sitting in your chair right now. And then you think of yourself in, in the time frame that you are living, okay, 20, 30 40, 50 years old, whatever, whatever your age is, that's the number of years that you've been alive uh, in, in the expanse of time that, is, that has taken place so far. And all of that, and God loves you. It's overwhelming when you think about it. The ultimate commandment is to love Him. We're learning that this morning. We're learning that we give because He loves us. We're learning that our feelings don't push us to give, but giving pushes us to feel we're learning that God made us with availability and time, talent and treasure. And you, we learned this morning that if you don't use you, these things for God, you will be without use. You will be an instrument on the wall at TGI Fridays. What is our response? What is our response? The response is to give. And the question is to give what? And we're just going to, again, just flip through these verses real quick. Verse 4 says to give truth. Reject sin and evil. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do, he says. Verse 5, give out of a pure heart. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Verse 8, give the law lawfully. The law is good if a man use it lawfully, the verse says. Verse 12, give out of a thankful heart. The verse says, counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, Paul says. Verse 16 says, give continually with the idea of long-suffering. And then verse 17 says, Give out of a praising heart. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How do we know that God loves us? Because of what He gave and what He continues to give each of us every single day. How does God know that you love Him? How does God know that you love Him today? What have you given to God? Not in your life in the last five years. Not in January or February or March or April or May or June. Not even this last week. What have you given to God in this 24 hours? I often talk about the Christian life being 24-hour chunks. We need to live for God today. You say, hey, I, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Read your Bible today. Pray to God today. Be in church if the doors are open. Live for Him today. Be a witness for Him today. God will show you His will. Our job is to love Him, to give, to give of, of ourselves uh, in, his, in His program. And we need, to give that, uh, we need to give to Him today. 